This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Joe Prendergast on ABC Radio WA. Hello, good to have your company on a Tuesday afternoon. Last year, about 64 million tonnes of winter grain was harvested around the country. This year, the national harvest is expected to be just under 50 million tonnes. We will take a look at the National Crop Report today. And if you're a fan of country music, don't go anywhere because shortly you'll hear from some Aussie country music artists who offer their thoughts on why they struggle to get recognition for their music here in Australia. I don't know how to shake the, the sense of it being so daggy, you know. A, a lot of the issue is the whole country and western thing, you know. Everyone says, oh, how do you write a country song? It's about when you lose your dog and your wife leaves you and this, that and the other. So I think once people open their minds to that sort of thing and, and look past the stupid cliches of the chewing straw in the fields kind of vibe, they might actually find something that's quite cool and, and not always so stereotypical. You'll hear more from Dumble Young-based country musician Johnny Taylor soon on the program. He's been in the industry for about a decade. He's got the right name though, doesn't he? Johnny Taylor. I reckon I'd buy that record perhaps. More detail, though, has emerged on the WA government's massive overhaul of the state's firearms legislation. We were talking about this on the program yesterday. And along with limiting the number of firearm licence holders, uh, well, the number of firearms that licence holders can have to five for recreational shooters or ten for farmers, All recreational firearms licence holders will need a new letter of permission from a landowner to come and shoot vermin on their property. Police Minister Paul Papalia says all firearm licence holders will also be subject to mandatory health checks. It's been designed by a panel of uh, experts with you know from Royal Australian College of GPs the Department of Mental Health and uh, mental and the health department and the health um, minister's office but essentially it'll probably be done via e-health to ensure that it can be delivered anywhere in the state pretty much like you get for a heavy haulage truck driver's license which a lot of farmers already have Okay, but there's also gun owners that don't. So what are we specifically looking at? I mean, how how are you going to do a mental health check? What are you looking for and what physical um, issues will be checked out? So if people, it's, you know, the type of uh, test will be a, it's a health check with a mental health component along the lines. If people want to look at what it looks like, uh, look at what the heavy haulage truck driver's licence uh, requires but, and that's what it's going to look but like. Can't you tell us? You're the minister. You're bringing these changes in. There are gun owners that would not have had to do this. Not every gun owner has a heavy haulage licence. So what what specifically are these mental and physical health checks looking at? Are we talking about eyesight as well? as, as your, now How are they going to measure their mental capacity to be able to hold a gun licence? Uh, you're, getting, you're getting into the weeds on something well, that's just I'd, being refined. Nadia, you don't... People shouldn't be too concerned. Uh, if you're wondering about what it will be like, it's a lot like the heavy haulage truck driver's license. It's going to look something like that. Yeah, but I don't know there's what that is. That I, don't have a haulage, I don't have a heavy haulage Nadia, truck license. Nadia, there's a lot of other things that are actually much more significant. We talked about the mental, the health check with a mental health component months ago. Um, people are aware that that's coming and the details will be refined in, in uh, coming months. 
There's, there's a big thing that we're announcing today. Sorry, just, just on uh, that, one more question on that. So every five years and then once you're over 80, you have it every year. If, if you don't have those mental health checks and those physical health checks, is the licence revoked? Well, in all likelihood, you won't be able to, you won't be able to have a licence if you don't comply with the law. So um, that would be the case. But if you reach 80 nowadays in Western Australia, as a driver on the road, you have to have a health check. It's a normal practice. Um, it's not something that's extraordinary. And uh, I, most people would assume that that's a reasonable thing to apply for someone who's getting a licence for a firearm. Can I just go on to just raise with you, there's a, a big thing that uh, is in in the paper that's being um, tabled today, I'll be tabling it in Parliament, a big change uh, is with respect to property letters. So people may not be aware if they're not a firearms licence holder that uh, one of the genuine reasons for um, getting a firearm, a licence for a firearm in Western Australia is to go um, recreational shooting, which was the justification is you go onto someone else's property to go and shoot vermin, to help them uh, eradicate and, and control vermin. You had to get a letter from a property owner to entitle you to be able to do that. Now, that whole system has been completely corrupted. People have been selling those letters. You can get them on Gumtree. Um, people uh, buy a letter. That's their justification, their genuine reason for having a firearm in the city. And then they may or may not uh, ever go to that property. Uh, in all likelihood, many thousands of firearms have never been used to eradicate vermin on property. So that whole system's going to be reformed. So how are you going to do that to, to prevent these letters being sold, as is what happens now? Yeah, so what it will become illegal to sell letters for starters, but uh, what we're going to do is you still need um, the ability for, far, uh, for primary producers to have assistance to eradicate vermin, but there'll be a requirement to get a letter from a genuine letter. People have to go and request it from a primary pro producer. Those letters will be tied to the size of the property, the the, na the nature of vermin that have to be controlled, and and the density of that of vermin in in the area um, identified by DBCA, the Department of Biodiversity Conservation and, and Attractions. So it'll actually have some science around it. It'll be the number of letters will be limited. Currently, there's no limit on how many letters um, farmers or primary producers can give out. Uh, there's a there's a property, so a, about a hundred acre in the old the old measure down in Margaret River, um, it's like a very small dairy farm that's mm -hmm. given out 2,200 of these letters. Right. Extraordinary, crazy um, numbers. So that's going to all change. But by the time the law becomes uh, comes into effect at the end of next year, people will have had to have gotten genuine, if, they, if this is the justification for their firearm, they'll have to have a genuine letter uh, from a, a primary producer. The cap just another couple of questions that I was getting on this from, from um, station owners and station leaseholders yesterday. The cap of mm. 10 guns per license, is that per license holder or per property? No, well, so if you're talking to station owners, they won't be subject to this. So right, they'll okay. be a business, they'll be a business license holder. Okay. It's like um, also professional shooters. They won't yeah. be subject to a limit because they're a professional and they'll be able to get a business license. It's a different category. Police Minister Paul Papalia speaking to Nadia Mitsopoulos. And the minister said new licence applicants will also have to do firearms practical and theoretical testing. To be clear, though, he said that that would be for new firearms licence applicants. So the minister said that the training requirements for existing licence holders would be grandfathered. 
What do you make of this new detail that we're hearing today about the overhaul of WA's firearms legislation? You can send me a text. The number is 0448922604. If these rules go through, it would make WA's legislation some of the toughest in the country. I wonder if you agree with that point that we heard the Minister explaining there where he believes that the system where property owners were able to, to give out and even sell permission letters for people to come and shoot on their property, that that needed to change. Let me know what you reckon. The number is zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. Sheldon Mumby is the Pastoralists and Graziers Association Policy Director. Sheldon, you were on the Primary Producers Advisory Group, which worked with the Minister on forming this new firearms legislation. How do you expect most of your members to react when they read the detail of this legislation? We've uh, been keeping our members informed of uh, what's been happening and the proposals, uh, so it shouldn't come as much of a surprise to many of our members. Do you think they'll be happy with it, though? I think overall they'll be happy with it. Um, you know, there's there's some that will not be happy with it, but, uh, you know, there are some positives in this, and uh, especially with the introduction of the new primary producer's licence. So on that point, can you run through what the detail of that new primary producer's licence will look like? New primary producer's licence is exclusive to primary producers. Those producers that are defined under the Australian Tax Office as engaging in a primary production activity. What it allows is that the holder of that licence will be able to have up to 10 firearms. They will be able to authorized persons under that license, so employees or families, to shoot on their properties for primary production purposes. They'll also be able to use the firearm listed on their license for hunting or target shooting purposes on any other property for which they hold a written authority, i.e. a property letter, to do so. So under the new system, you'll be able to authorise employees or family members to use Uh, the firearm that is licensed to you under the new primary producer's licence. But do those people that you're giving that authority to have to hold a firearms licence themselves? They don't have to hold a firearms licence themselves. Uh, However, they they have to fulfil all the requirements, um, including a fit and proper test. And I believe what they're talking about is there will be a requirement that they'd have to undergo the um, firearms training. Okay, and what's a fit and proper test? A fit and proper test is is basically determined, and it's current right now, if you're a fit and proper person to hold a firearm. So if you have any convictions against you, uh, and those are all determined by the uh, by the police. You are listening to The Country Hour. Joe Prendergast with you this afternoon. Just catching up with Sheldon Mumby from the Pastoralists and Graziers Association. Sheldon sat uh, on the Primary Producers Advisory Group along with groups like Veggies WA, uh, Wines and the KPCA on forming this new firearms legislation. Sheldon, the Minister also mentioned a business licence, which I'm not familiar with. What will that look like under this new legislation, which is due to go through by the end of next year, this changes to WA's firearms legislation? So what is a business licence or what will a business licence involve? Okay, well, currently right now, there is a a type of business licence. It allows corporates 
to allow their employees to utilize firearms on their premises or and, on their properties. And will that be the case with the, the new business license under the new legislation? Yes, yes. So it'll, it'll allow, if it's got various subcategories, um, which includes everything from firearms training, uh, professional shooters, security agents, and then you have other prescribed industries. So you take, for example, the mining industry, oil and gas exploration industries, uh, abattoirs, um, and many uh, pastoral or, or farming businesses. So do you suspect that under the new legislation, most people uh, with a farming or pastoral operation will move to a business license because it allows that license holder, that business, to have an unlimited amount of firearms? Uh, look, there's a good chance. Uh, it all comes down to the um, individual requirements and, and the other big factor is uh, what the cost is going to be. And what is that cost proposed to be, do you know? Well, we don't really know because we haven't seen the fee structures yet. We're also unaware of how often the renewals are going to be. There has been talk that renewals might be three years, uh, they might be five years. And uh, currently right now it's annually. One of the changes that the Minister uh, revealed this morning was that everyone who has a firearms licence has to go and get a new property letter, a new letter of permission from some property owner uh, basically authorising them to shoot on their property. What's your understanding about the restrictions that may be placed on property owners when they're going to give that permission letter? Because we heard the Minister say that it will be defined by police as to whether or not someone can authorise a shooter. So what does that look like? Do you know the detail there? What we're seeing is a, a complete revamp of the property letter system. The police have certain requirements when issuing out a property letter. Uh, there's there's issues over the type of caliber that's being used on the property and what is the size of the property. And and generally, you know, you're talking about properties that are you know about a thousand acres um, to get permission to uh, issue out a property letter in one block. In one block, yes. Yeah. So will will a property owner have to somehow register to get permission to give out a letter? I'm unaware whether they have to register, um, whether that'll be uh, one of the issues. Uh, what'll happen is it'll be very similar to uh, the system now that when the person applies for uh, their their firearms license, they seek the property letter from, from the, the landholder. Um, the landholder provides them with a property letter, okay? Uh, as part of the application for that, the, uh, the, the license holder has to basically ascertain that there's a genuine need for it. Sheldon Mumby from the Pastoralists and Graziers Association. And Sheldon was also telling me that he understands under the new rules, uh, one person can apply to have multiple licences. So a primary producer could have a business licence as well as an individual licence. So some more detail emerging of the state government's overhaul to the WA firearms legislation. Keen to get your thoughts on this one. You can send me a text. The number is 0448 
922604. Just pop your name on that text as Darren has done. He says, Joe, I think politicians need mental health checks with some of the rubbish that they come up with. And Luke from Maka said, more government control under the virtue of safetyism. The psychosis of totalitarianism rolls on. And Tom has sent a text. He says, hi, Country Hour. I'm so annoyed by the interview on the ABC this morning. So many inaccuracies. The owner of a firearm doesn't have a licence. The firearm is licensed. Tom, I just quickly checked that and my understanding is that a person is licensed to possess or carry a firearm and then the firearm is added to the person's licence. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I just made a quick phone call and that's the explanation that I had from a um, person who's in that industry. So hopefully that's correct, Tom, but thank you for your message as well. If you'd like to have your say, the text number is 0448 922604. Let me know what you reckon about some of the detail that we're hearing emerging from the overhaul of the uh, firearms legislation, things like mandatory uh, testing um, and also instruction for people who are taking out or apply for a firearms licence, those mandatory health checks. But the big one, which will affect just about everyone, is that if you have a firearms licence, you'll need to get a new letter of authority from a primary producer saying that you can come onto their property and shoot vermin. And that is because the uh, police minister says there's been this trade of those property letters and uh, he's not happy with the amount that are going around. So really trying to tighten that up. Consultation on this is now open and it runs for about a month. I was speaking to opposition leader Shane Love today and he pointed out that this consultation is happening now. So it's happening during the busiest time on the calendar for many landowners, which is harvest. So he said he might ask the police minister to consider perhaps extending that consultation period to when people aren't so flat out in the paddock. Those thoughts from uh, the opposition leader, Shane Love. Keen to get yours, the text number 0448 922604 is the number to have your say. A text in from Stuart, he says, are the police really serious about Uh, meeting their agenda about firearm safety. If so, over 40% of the police force need to have their firearms licence removed due to the number of police who have shown to be mentally unstable in their workforce, as well as the number of international police who we have no idea what they have been through in their own country. The number of police, um, and Stuart's concerns go on, but basically saying that if you're going to uh, apply this blowtorch to existing licence holders, then he reckons that the police force should also come under the same uh, scrutiny. 24 past 12, you are listening to The Country Hour. Good to have your company right around regional WA. I hope you're enjoying a cooler day than what it was yesterday. It was a stinker here in Geraldton. And that drier and warmer growing season conditions and the prevailing El Nino weather pattern, that's being blamed for Australia's winter crop to be down about 25% on last year. So last year's harvest was 64 million tonnes. This year, it's estimated to only be about, about 49 million tonnes. But the silver lining is that wheat, barley, and canola prices 
Well, they're still historically good. Rabobank analyst Edward Edward McGeek says the drop in tonnages has come off the back of three really good seasons nationally. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that that 24% certainly um, a significant drop. But I guess when you take it back to, say, the the long-term average that we're seeing, you know, a five-year average, um, it's just below that five-year average. So almost returning back to kind of, you know, those modest totals um, that we were previously used to um, after, you know, albeit that the record-breaking um, yeah, production that we would have seen last year. But every state down except Victoria. Yes, yeah. Interestingly, Victoria is the, uh, the difference there. And I think a lot of that comes down to just the conditions they had leading up to harvest last year with the excessive rainfall and a lot of the harvest issues they would have had with, um, yeah, it was leaving crop in the field and then just some of the water, water damage as well. So I think that's really um, one of the factors. Uh, again, it'll be um, dependent, uh, I guess, on, you know, the, the, the strong conditions continuing. And we did see rainfall um, totals, you know, pretty positive totals first week of, of October, which really, I think, has helped with that uh, expectation of an increase. But yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see across the next kind of few months if that continues. Although in many parts of New South Wales, that rain was just too late. Yes, yeah, too late. Um, yeah, when you get to kind of the central west, northern New South Wales, uh, yeah, just uh, a little bit too, too late. And also the amount as well, just enough to kind of um, yeah, wet the top, but not really seep through and, and create that good soil moisture profile. But those people that did have a crop, they've just managed to get it out of the ground and they had the subsoil moisture to keep them going. So that's why we haven't seen, a, you know, the numbers sort of fall off a cliff. Yes, exactly. And I think even just within New South Wales itself, there's quite a large um, variation. You go then further south to, you know, the Riverina and the Murray, and they've probably seen a, a pretty strong season um, you know, versus the, the northern counterparts, and with that, the rain that they would have experienced as well, that's certainly helping um, boost their uh, their confidence going forward. But moving further ahead, I mean, you can't be too confident about the future over summer and the El Nino and the drier than average, warmer than average. I mean, that must be playing on people's minds for next year. Yes, I, I certainly think it would. I, I'd say at the moment, most people are probably just focusing on getting what they've got uh, in the ground off, but I think we will start to see. And, you know, if we don't see any of those rainfall totals that we're probably accustomed to in the last few years coming through in in summer, uh, there'll certainly be a few adjustments to, yeah, planning intentions come, you know, April, April next year for sure. And looking at some of the commodity prices, I mean, wheat above 400 bucks a tonne, canola above 700. So, you know, the the conditions are right. If you can get a crop, the prices are good. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost one of the the little, I guess, silver linings. Um, with the, the reduced production outlook that we do have. You know, there are strong and I would say supportive price factors going through to the end of the year, which, uh, which does help in terms of, you know, providing a bit more of a, a return on what they are going to be able to get out of the ground. So, yeah, one thing that's, that's I guess, providing a bit of promise, um, yeah, will be with the, the reduced totals that will be coming off farm. And there's, a, a you know, international issues at play with wheat, international issues at play with barley, but also drought pricing for for wheat and canola really is about, you know, there just isn't a lot of canola around the world. Yeah, exactly. And it's really come back to that kind of demand supply uh, factor with, with supply being that kind of limiting um, limiting part at the moment. So we are seeing, you know, out of some of those key global markets reductions in their own supply as well. So it's not just, I guess, isolated locally within Australia, which is certainly helping, as you mentioned, that, that bit of a almost drought premium on pricing that we do see. 
Um, and, and even in oil seeds as well, there's a few demand factors at play with uh, with Canada and, and bringing on a bit more of a um, domestic crush capacity for, for biofuels, which should also help from a, I guess, um, reduction in their export capacity, which will certainly support our kind of canola uh, exports going forward. So, yeah, certainly a few few supportive factors. And, you know, towards the end of the year, most of those major harvests have all wrapped up. So we'll get a pretty good idea of how much is um, is circulating. And our white high-protein wheat is more in demand in places like China and Southeast Asia? Yeah, exactly. And, and similar, you know, barley as well. We've got a bit more of that barley um, demand coming back as well that we've seen in, in recent months, which will certainly support those prices Yeah, over the next, you know, through the end of this year. Rabobank Associate Analyst Edward McGeek speaking to Michael Condon. We've been talking about the WA government's overhaul of firearms legislation this afternoon and Joe from Meriden uh, has sent us some his his thoughts on it. He says there should be a category for smaller landholders like himself to protect their animals. He has five acres with chooks and goats and he wants to protect them mainly from foxes, but he doesn't qualify as a primary producer on his five acres, but he doesn't want to tick the box for hunting and sport because that's not what he needs his firearm for. Joe from Meriden giving us his thoughts on the WA government's uh, new firearms legislation, which is expecting to be in place by uh, this time next year, roughly. Let me know what you reckon. 0448 922 is the text line. Uh, you can pop your name on that message. And let me know what you reckon. Are these laws a good idea? Do we have a problem with illegal guns being in the community that this will help? Perhaps you reckon that that uh, crackdown that we're hearing on property letters giving permission for people to go onto their property and, and shoot, that that needs to be tightened up as well. Let me know what you reckon. 0448 is the text line. It's 12.30. Let's head to the newsroom. Good afternoon, Jonathan Beale. Good afternoon, Joe. As you mentioned, the police minister has released a consultation paper outlining planned changes to WA's firearms laws. Under the proposed changes, people applying for a gun licence would have to undertake physical and mental health checks and compulsory training. It would also be more difficult to justify gun ownership using property letters, which can be bought from property owners. Paul Papalia says people would need a good reason to obtain a firearm using a property letter. The WA government has established a housing supply unit to address the affordability crisis. The unit inside Treasury will be made up of government employees and industry representatives. It's hoped the unit will help extract maximum benefit from the Federal Housing Australia Future Fund. And the United Nations says more than a dozen staff members have been killed in Gaza as the enclave runs out of food, water and medicine. One million Palestinians have been displaced since the war began more than a week ago. The US, meanwhile, has confirmed that President Joe Biden will travel to Israel this week to show his support for the country in its war against Hamas. More news, Joe, one. Jonathan, thank you. And just going through some more of your texts on the WA government's firearm changes, uh, a text in saying uh, all the government will achieve is a proliferation of illegal firearms in the recreational shooting groups. Once again, it's dumb. Uh, that text are not leaving their details. Do me a favour and pop your name on there, would you? Tom has done that. He reckons, why would anyone need more than 10 guns? I'm a farmer and I only have three. Thank you for that message. If you'd like to have your say, 0448 922 is the number to send me a text. Let's head to the Bureau. Good afternoon, Luke Huntington. Good afternoon, Joe. How are you going? 
Good. Let's have a look at the Southwest Land Division for the next few days. Not as hot as yesterday, thankfully, but still yeah. a bit warm. Yeah, yeah. About the west coast, it's notably cooler today. Um, temp- some places are sort of ten degrees cooler than they were yesterday. Um, so yeah, as Carnarvon was forty-four yesterday and only reached thirty-four today. So just an example of that cooler change. Um, but yeah, all the heats moved um, towards the inland parts of the southwest land division and along the south coast east of Albany today. So still exper- experiencing very hot conditions through the um, inland central west through the Great Southern Wheat Belt into the Esperance area today. They're all going for tops of around. 37 or 38 degrees today and there could even be some places that um, get their warmest October day on record um, through the eastern uh, wheat belt into the parts of the Great Southern there so we'll see if that comes off later this afternoon um, and then looks like tomorrow we, we do see the trough moving um, gradually east today but then tomorrow it should clear the southwest land division and bring in a subtle cooler subtly change so many places a lot cooler tomorrow um, so for example Esperance 36 today down to 20 degrees uh, tomorrow and um, much of the southwest land division will be um, back to sort of the low to mid 20 degrees um, but not too much precipitation um, behind the change there may be some very light showers or drizzle just in the coastal locations between Augusta and um, Hopeton um, tonight um, and then extending to Esperance tomorrow morning but um, as I said it's very light so showers any precipitation will be less than a millimetre it won't do too much um, and then as we head into Thursday the new ridge comes in um, so we'll see a continuation of more milder conditions that we've usually se- that we've um, typically seen over the last few days. So the south coast on Thursday, struggling to get to around 18 degrees, which is quite a difference. Um, and then any share activity will be in a similar area down on the uh, the south coast, but probably um, between Augusta and Bremer Bay, close to the coast there. Uh, maybe some light showers or drizzle, less than a millimetre or so. And then as we head into Friday, the trough does develop, but it sort of develops through the uh, inland parts of the southwest land division. So it'll start heading up through the, the inland central west and the great uh, the central wheat belt. And then on Saturday, the trough um, goes back towards the coast. So the west coast will probably warm up a little bit. Not quite as extreme, though, as we saw uh, yesterday, with temperatures getting to close to around 30 degrees along the central west coast and the, and the lower west. Um, and then temperatures are getting into the, back into the low 30s through the great southern area. Um, but no precipitation expected on the Friday or the Saturday. Okay. What about the north? The north is uh, very hot at the moment. Um, so that's going to continue for the, uh, the net foreseeable future, really. So um, temperatures through the Kimberley and Pilbara region, many places um, getting close to 40 degrees or even exceeding uh, 40, particularly through the inland uh, Pilbara there. Um, it's been quite windy during the morning periods as well, which, is ha- which hasn't helped with um, many fires that are going in the Kimberley at the moment. So there's a bit of smoke around. Uh, but those winds do ease off tomorrow, so that should help um, with the fires up there. Um, but the heat does really c- continue up there, as I said. Um, it, the temperatures really don't change much over the next uh, few days with those 40-degree temperatures. It's really warmed up, hasn't it? Any uh, any warnings? Um, there's just a coastal wind warning uh, for tomorrow, and that's for the sea breeze along the Ningaloo, Gascoigne and Euclid Coast. Luke, thank you. Bringing some, well, kind of good news that it's going to cool down for a little while in the Southwest Land Division. I have a fairly pathetic vegetable garden at home and um, I did rig up a bit of a roof on it the other day, which I think my father would be ashamed of, but it kind of worked. It's not dead after 
yesterday's uh, record-breaking temperature here in Geraldton. I'm not sure what it officially got to. I saw that someone said it was 44, but it was the hottest October day on record. And not surprisingly, there was no rain anywhere in WA over the past 24 hours. ABC Radio, Harvest Ban Information. Yeah, due to the risk of fire, a few shires have imposed a harvest ban today. That's Dalwallanew and Coolan. So that's a ban on harvesting or the use of any equipment that could potentially cause a fire. And again, if you'd like more detailed information, including the zones and the lifting of harvest bans, please just get in touch with your local government area. And a reminder, as I mentioned yesterday, the Country Hour is the only program on the ABC that will be broadcasting harvest and vehicle movement bans for regional shires. And on the weekends, those harvest ban notices will be read out at 25 to 1, so pretty similar time to when it's read out on the Country Hour. And the deadline, strict deadline for shires to get those harvest ban notices in is quarter to 12. Um, Luke Huntington mentioned the hot conditions and fires in the north. At least 10 are currently at an advice level. Most of those, as he mentioned, are in the north, so they're in the shires of Derby, West Kimberley, Halls Creek, Broome and Ashburton. And if you'd like more details on those, just go to Emergency WA. It's an easy search to remember, and that'll have all the details for fires and uh, total fire bans, etc. That's it. Richard, thank you. Did you go for a swim yesterday? No, I didn't. I might this afternoon, though. Mm, Okay. (laughs) thought you would be cooling off. (laughs) Thank you for that. Some West Australian wineries are using the latest technology such as drones and radiometrics as well as compost to cope with changing climatic conditions. David Moulton is the Chief of Viticulture and Winemaking at Cape Mentel and he says while they look at everything associated with water. Okay so couple of different aspects to this one we can put a drone up and we can fly over the vineyard and we can measure the number of plant cells per square centimeter so we can see the capacity of the plant we've also got some tech that we adopted from the champagne region in france so we can measure the thickness of the canes pre-pruning and also determine the, the vigor and the balance and i guess what the vine's capable of then we can choose to target products such as compost so we'll highlight the heavier applications of compost on the weaker areas. So we're improving the soil structure, improving the capacity of those vines, which does two things. It makes the vineyard more even and results in more even ripening, so better fruit quality and ultimately better wine quality for the consumer. But it's also maximising those resources to making sure that we're putting them in the right spot at the right time. Take us through how you do the compost. You actually use your own waste products. Yeah, so we call it Great Mark, so that's the skins and the seeds left over post-fermentation. And we send it up to our compost pad. We add some wood chips and sometimes some chicken manure. And we heavily monitor it, so we look at moisture content and temperature on a daily basis. And we turn it, send it off for an analysis once it's fully matured, and then we can choose to band it or broadcast it within our vineyards. When it's out, we're standing here right now in a row where it's been spread, it, it helps with the moisture absorption as well, is that right? Yeah, so it's, it's a substrate, so it's full of biology, it's full of potassium, which grapevines love in heavy volumes, but also it's like when you go and mulch or compost your home garden, but it's targeted, it builds soil moisture, um, more organic matter is like a sponge in soil, so it holds the moisture. If we do choose to irrigate, 
it's there, it's available, and the vines can then hold it and take it up. Um, it also helps with absorption of uh, nutrients within the soil that are naturally there. So it's a really cool product because it's very well suited to vineyards because it's made from a vine product. Speaking of irrigation, you know, water is obviously a tricky thing to manage in a drying climate. We are uh, being told repeatedly it's going to be a hot, dry spring and summer. What are you doing in terms of water to be more sustainable and, and conservative? So through our Sustainable Wine Growing Australia accreditation, we've been measuring all of our metrics for the last probably 10 to 15 years, I'd have to check, but we know every litre of diesel, every litre of water that goes into our, I guess, agricultural um, pursuits. So we can look at which blocks are using more water, which vineyards are using more water, and then we can adapt our practices. So you can't solve a problem until you understand it. And what's been really useful through the Sustainable Wine Growing Australia models, you can figure out, you can benchmark yourself against other regions and also other vineyards or wineries within your own region and see how you're tracking. So I guess there's, it's a real good chance to look in the mirror and understand where you're at and then you can look at how you're going to improve things. And in terms of new practices and technology, you've got um, the ability to sort of x-ray down into the soil to look at the moisture. Can you talk, tell us a bit about this? Yeah, so we can actually use, it's, it's some mining technology, it's called radiometrics. We actually send an electronic signal down and determining the different resistance that comes back will show you where the different soil types are. We'll then go out and dig some soil pits and truth those areas to find out where the different areas are within our own vineyards. And then you've got a million other options. So you can plant different varieties, different rootstocks, or you can look at trying to improve the soil structure through drainage, compost application and cover cropping, which is another tool we have. David Moulton, he's the Chief of Viticulture and Winemaking at Cape Mentel near Margaret River, speaking with Ellie Honeybone. 17 to 1. Well, falling prices and slow demand in the live export trade were hot topics at the Kimberley Pilbara Cattlemen's Association conference in Broome late last week. KBCA Chair Jack Andrews says cattle numbers out of Broome's port are down nearly 50% on last year. Uh, I wouldn't know the exact numbers, but I'd have to envisage that it's below average. I certainly know that circa 50,000 head have gone out of the port Broome which is less than half or right on half of about 100,000 per annum so obviously that indicates that numbers are down and there's challenges with accessing markets Uh, and then there's dry conditions across Australia means eastern seaboard isn't sourcing large numbers out of this part of the world and the southern part of WA is also dry and that's impacting the market and, and the now the cattle traversing across. It's either too dry or too wet. That seems to be the message that I've got today. Um, in terms of the LSD impact and what it's had on the live exports, did you see maybe it pick up for a little bit after the market shutdown happened and then everything was back on again? What impact has that actually had on you guys? Oh, certainly, obviously, once the trade reopens, there's movement again, so we certainly appreciate that and we we appreciate the opportunity to once again engage and um, trade our product um, to our overseas customers. So obviously really appreciate that opportunity and that um, that ability for that trade to reopen. The reality is it has still been a challenging year. Um, specs of cattle and I guess the expectations around what is presented and what goes on ships is, uh, probably been slight, well, has been slighter, tighter than last year and um, the, the expectations that we're working around. 
Yeah, the, I think you mentioned it in your speech. There's been um, instances, and I've heard it from other people too, that skin blemishes, ringworm, that kind of thing is now really under the microscope. Have you found that that's the case? Yes, yeah, certainly. So that's coming back to those parameters and, and getting an understanding of uh, what's what's acceptable from a shipping perspective. Uh, they're certainly fit to load animals, uh, but there is there's dialogue around what those skin blemishes are, and it's really an educational process about going through that that there is actually nothing wrong with those animals. As, as the Minister said and has been stated, there's been absolutely no cases of lumpy skin disease or foot and mouth disease found in Australia, so we can we continue to acknowledge that and we understand that we have a, a green product that we're really proud of um, and it's just a case of, of working with our market partners and education and trying to free up some more market space. Jack Andrews, he chairs the Kimberley Pilbara Cattlemen's Association, catching up with Hannah Murphy at the KPCA conference, which is held in Broome on Friday. And if you buy processed dairy products like cheese or yoghurt, you might need to keep an eye on some industrial action in the Victorian dairy sector, which is Australia's biggest dairy production state. Thousands of dairy factory workers and milk tank drivers are striking this week. The factory workers are taking action against four major dairy processes at 14 sites, basically because they want a 15% pay rise over three years. And truckies, they want better job security because they say they're getting undercut by contractors. Derek Dent is a dairy factory worker and he's getting ready to go on strike tomorrow. We've been bargaining with our various employers for uh, over the course of this year and we're just chasing a, a fair wage increase and a uh, change to some of our working conditions. Um, we're really just trying to get a fair wage increase to combat the the crushing cost of living. Have you been made any offers as yet by Saputo? Yeah, so Saputo uh, have made bargaining very difficult. We've been bargaining with them since uh, April. Their opening offer was a 3% wage increase and they've since come up to 4% in the first year. Um, Derek, what is it like working in a, in a milk processing factory, in a dairy processing factory? Take me through a day. Uh, so a day for me, um, we work 12-hour shifts. All of my... Uh, Friends and members here at Langatha work 12-hour shifts. Uh, we manufacture the Devondale Long Life Milk uh, as well as the Devondale Butter. Uh, so a, a day for me starts at 6am, um, processing milk at various speeds and, and varieties of uh, uh, milk. Um, and it's long, hard days. It's often quite hot. It's loud. It's noisy. It's, um, it's strenuous. Uh, there are da- there are periods of downtime as well. Uh, don't get me wrong, um, but all the workers here at Langatha make this job look easy. But it's not. It takes a long time to to get good at this job, and it takes a lifetime to perfect it. And some of us are still chasing that perfection. The Transport Workers Union are currently striking, and that strike will continue into tomorrow, when your union will also be striking. Is this a coincidence that both the unions are taking action at the same time? It is actually. It's. Um, it's. I was thinking about this earlier. Uh, this is the first time in about twenty years that two different unions at the same workplace here in Langatha have taken industrial action. Um, I think that speaks volumes for the current uh, climate. To be honest, yeah. Is there any likelihood that this will impact the supply of milk and butter out of this factory in Langatha? Uh, yes, uh, there will be a hindrance to production, obviously. Um, all of our members have said, you know, 
Saputo is not listening. Let's take this uh, drastic step to take industrial action. It's not a decision we come to lightly. Yeah, we're, 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 putting, we're putting it all on the line. Derek Dent, he's a dairy factory worker speaking with Fiona Broom, getting ready to take industrial action tomorrow in Victoria. But we're talking about that because that is the powerhouse of Australia's dairy production. So it is worth keeping an eye on that if you buy processed dairy products here in Australia. And due to the risk of fire, the Condinan Shire has just imposed a harvest ban. But a reminder, to get your harvest bans read out on the Country Hour, shires need to notify us via email before a quarter to 12, but just a very late one that will let sneak through the gate today. Due to the risk of fire, the Condinan Shire has just imposed a harvest ban. Well, Morgan Wallen, Luke Combs, Lainey Wilson and Zach Bryan are all country music artists dominating the charts in the US and Australia, but none of them are Australian. So Lucy Cooper spoke to members of the music industry to find out why. Country music is taking over US charts and making history. This year, for the first time since 1981, the Billboard Top 100 saw two country music songs hold the number one and number two spots. This undeniable mainstream success has the music industry in America saying the genre has entered a new era. But back home in Australia, local artists don't feel as optimistic. In Australia, I feel like you don't hear country music on your mainstream radios or any anything like that. I think people do still visualise it as a completely separate like thing here in Australia and that's why we have all our own country music radio and all that stuff. We're not sitting in that support bracket for Australian musicians. That's Josie. She's an up-and-coming country artist based in Townsville, North Queensland. Josie released her debut single this year. Hooking into TikTok as a way to promote her music was the key to early success for Josie's debut song. TikTok is just the place to be at the moment. All those, yeah, top number ones, you just see them, you know, blow up on TikTok. And it's like pushing my music out to a much larger audience than I probably would have ever been able to reach. And yeah, I've seriously gained so much from TikTok. It's a whole thing. That's seriously how so many artists are blowing up these days. Yeah, organically. Don't have to spend money on it and off you go. Josie wanted her first single to be authentic rather than take on an Americana sound, which many local country music artists have recently leaned towards. I was just trying to find something to write a song about and I was like, okay, what can I write about? Let me go listen to the Fresh Country playlist on Spotify. So many people are like referencing America, Nashville, Tennessee, all that sort of stuff. You know, I could sit there and write a song about that, easy done. But I really, really wanted my whole thing to be that I'm a genuine storyteller. I'm authentic and raw and real, and that's what I wanted. So I was like, well, if that's the case, I can't sing about Tennessee. And, well, that's where the whole song blossomed. I was like, hang on, this actually is my song. Here we go. So I can kind of get the best of both worlds and still name drop those, you know, fun words, Tennessee, Mississippi, all that stuff, but then still bring in the whole Australian vibe and, you know, talk about the Nullarbor, talk about how trucks aren't four-wheel drives, like all that sort of stuff. But like many up-and-comers in the industry, a question looms over her career. How and where 
Will she be able to make it? It's scary. It really is. Like, I've worked so hard for everything and to think that it might not go anywhere and I just spend all this money and time and effort on nothing. It is really scary. But also scary to think about if I wanted to move over to Nashville, like, what are the chances over there even? Because it is just so saturated. Like, everyone over there has that same dream. They want to do the same thing. They want to go and become a country star. And it's like, well, you know, you, you feel like you have a better chance over in Australia because it's not that saturated. But then everything that is anything has come from Nashville. So it's like, what do you do? Josie is not alone in her opinions. West Australian artist Johnny Taylor has been in the industry for over a decade and gained popularity on programs like Australian Idol and Australia's Got Talent. But he said it's very difficult to break through to a broader audience. I think massive stardom has to happen in America. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen it. I've seen it happen with people here. People that are so, so talented have all the charisma, have all the talent, have the looks, have everything behind them, the most powerful managers in the business. And, you know, can't quite make it here. They go to America and all of a sudden it's like, oh, he is actually awesome or she is awesome. So why is there a gap? Why did tickets to Luke Combs sell out immediately? Yet most Aussies struggle to name five local country artists under the age of 30. Josie said it comes down to our perception of the genre. When I think back to me in primary school, everyone would, like, bully you for listening to country music. It just was not the in thing. If you listen to country, yeah, hillbilly or redneck or something like that, like, or a bogan. You know, people just weren't that into it and they you had to be a specific niche to be into country music. But I think these days, like, that perspective has definitely changed. But I still think there is room for people to acknowledge that it is just music like and it is becoming a huge genre it's at the top of the billboard charts it's number one at the moment i don't know how to shake the, the sense of it being so daggy you know it's it's kind of always been that way i think a, a lot of the issue is the whole country and western thing you know everyone says oh how do you write a country song it's about when you lose your dog and your wife leaves you and this that and the other and those cliches are definitely there i mean you don't have to look hard to find them but there's a lot of really clever songwriters. So I think once people open their minds to that sort of thing and, and look past the stupid cliches of the, you know, chewing straw in the fields kind of vibe, they might actually find something that's that's quite cool and, and not always so stereotypical. Barry Harley is the festival manager for the Tamworth Country Music Festival, which many consider to be the birthplace of the country music industry in Australia. Fans consume their music very differently than they did even 10 years ago. And so that in itself has been a bit of a challenge for the Australian country music industry is because international music has been more readily available than perhaps it was 10 or 15 years ago. Add to that also the loss of importance of radio play, you know, the number of radio stations that actually commercially were playing country music, you know, back 20 years ago seemed to be higher. And it's difficult now for artists to establish themselves and to build a fan base. We don't have the population in Australia to actually support um, sort of emerging emerging artists of any genre. I mean, you know, if you appeal to 1% in the United States, you're a millionaire. If you appeal to 1% in Australia, you've got to have a second job at IGA. So where does the future lie for an up-and-comer like Josie and a seasoned pro like Johnny Taylor? country music industry in Australia has a bright future from the point of view of the numbers of people that are involved in it. There's a lot of people out there still following the genre and uh, if only we could actually translate that into dollars and cents for them to give them a, a better career, that would be that would be great.
Barry Harley is the festival manager for the Tamworth Country Music Festival, ending that story from Lucy Cooper and Sophie Johnson. And you heard from country music artist Johnny Taylor, who's based at Dumble Young, which is about 270 kilometres east of Perth or southeast of Perth. Hello, I'm Annie Guest. Join me for The World Today. The UN warns Gaza is on the brink of collapse with increasing warnings to civilians to get out. Can the housing crisis be solved with granny flats? A new report shows the potential for 650,000 of them. And the coach of Australia's down-and-out rugby union team fronts the media. Can he win back the confidence of Wallabies fans? Those stories are more coming up on The World Today. It was a smaller yarding of sheep at the Muche sale yards this morning, all up about 5,700 sheep and lambs sold. MLA reporter Terry Birkin's been following the prices. What were they like today, Terry? A reduction in mainly older sheep saw the total head number drop by around 2,000 head this week. There were many onlookers in the buying group, however, bidding remained conservative, with a lot of lambs easing 4 to $5 and heavier lambs back by up to $10 a head. Large drafts of well-presented merino ewes were offered, with values remaining equal to recent weeks. New season store lambs eased, selling from $19 to $48, while light lambs were making $33 to $65 a head. Trade lambs also easing $8 to $10, returning $56 to $80, and heavy lambs sold up to $101 a head. Most of the old season merino ewe lambs made from $33 to $49, with one heavy line selling to a top of $71, and old season crossbred lambs reaching $64 a head. Only light store merino weather hoggets were penned today, making $10 to $30, while heavier older weathers realised $60, and the better merino ewe hoggets returned $30 to $60 a head. Bony ewes made $5 to $22, medium ewes were selling up to $36, and the heavier ewes sold to $45, with one pen of 10 dorper ewes reaching $48 for breeding. Young rams sold to a top of $60, and mature rams again returned $5 to $20 a head. This is Terry Birkin for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service. Thank you, Terry. So numbers were down about 2,200 on last week. 5,676 was the final tally. Just under 2,000 of those were lambs. Some of your texts on changes to WA's firearms legislation. Uh, Texts from... Matt, who says a property letter from Farmers for Licence Applications is unique to WA. It has been a tool used to try and reduce the number of firearm licence applications. In other states, genuine reason for recreational hunting is established by joining an approved organisation. And those organisations provide $20 million of public liability insurance cover for their members for any lawful shooting activity. They enforce codes of conduct for their members and cancel membership if they become a aware of breaches to the Code of Conduct, and that results in the uh, loss of a licence. Matt reckons surely this would be a better solution than bothering farmers to fill out forms for every licence in the state. The government has shown how little they value farmers' time. Uh, Selling letters would be illegal. Does this mean that the WA Police will be investigating any farmer that provides a property letters to see if they've been paid with a view to laying criminal charges. That text there from Matt. And lots of other texts coming through on the changes to uh, firearm legislation, which the WA government has introduced. The big change that we heard about today is that all firearm licence holders will have to get a new property permission letter 
if they want to keep their licence. And a final text from Tom. I've heard that the 2,200 letters handed out from one small farm down at Marg's were actually for cows. And that's where the song Cows with Guns came from. Thanks, Tom. One o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.